0: episode 117 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the death of Breonna Taylor. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and the topics such as Breonna Taylor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, political sloganeering, Kamala Harris, or state secession comes up, please share the topic-specific truth Quest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on platforms such as iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com fitshoot.com, brighteon.com, and ThinkSpot. If you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. I've been waiting to produce a short episode on the death of Breonna Taylor for some time, but I did not want to do it until the grand jury had examined the evidence and offered their recommendation. Every time there is a police-involved death of a person of color, the Democrats use it as an opportunity to sow racial divide in America. They point to it and claim the nation is systemically racist. They point to it and claim whatever Republican is in charge, either in the White House, the governor's mansion, or city hall, is at fault. And if it turns out that the president, governor, mayor, and or city council are all Democrats, they just indict the entire nation. It's part of the Democratic Party's playbook. I call it the boy who cried wolf tactic. They do the same thing every time there is a mass shooting. They scream for unconstitutional gun control laws. They blame the NRA and rednecks and people who cling to their guns and their religion. Obama said that. Today, in our hyperpartisan, partisan BLM-incited riots, orange man, bad, trump is a blame for everything political environment, we are subjected to riots and looting and cries of say-her-name. We have to read victims' names on the back of NFL players' helmets and NBA players' warm-up shirts, with slogans like, I can't breathe, referring to George Floyd, and hands up, don't shoot, referring to Michael Brown. Or news reporters explaining that Jacob Blake was just a guy breaking up a fight and ends up getting shot in the back for his troubles by the cops. These race baiters never tell you the whole story. They simply hijack the narrative and dare anyone to contradict it. They get as much fake news out as soon as possible, as soon as the incident happens. And by the time the truth comes out, they are on to their next outrage of the day. This was the case of George Floyd. He said I can't breathe many times before he was put on the ground in that infamous legal unconscious neck restraint. Oh, and by the way, Floyd asked the officers to put him on the ground rather than in the back of the police car because he claimed he suffered from claustrophobia. Why was he saying he couldn't breathe? Because, according to Floyd himself, he had just gotten over COVID and he was suffering from delirium caused by the overdose of fentanyl and some other drug he had ingested. In order to find out the truth, All you had to do is read the transcript from the body cameras of two of the officers involved in the Floyd arrest. It really wasn't that difficult. They're available on the web for anyone interested in the truth. I dedicated an entire episode to the death of George Floyd. See episode 107 if you want to know more. This fake news tactic was also used in the case of Michael Brown. Remember, hands up, don't shoot? He never said that. End of story. What you say? Yep, that phrase was made up by one of Brown's friends who was a witness to the entire incident. He later retracted his claim, but it was too late. The race baiters and race hustlers already had their narrative. This case has been investigated three times that I'm aware of, maybe more. Once by the DA at the time of the incident, then by the Obama Department of Justice, then by the current DA. All found the Michael Brown shooting justified because, come to find out, when you reach into a police car, try to grab an officer's gun, if the officer regains control of his pistol, you're going to get shot. Back to my point, if you dare contradict their narrative, they call you a racist. It's all very civilized. There's no discussion allowed about the fact pattern of each individual case. We never hear about the death by police when a white person dies. We are only allowed to mourn and express outrage when a person of color is involved because in these people's minds, it proves that America is racist to the core and it allows the Democrats to avoid talking about their real agenda of one-party rule, socialism, heavy-handed environment, and economic regulations that will inevitably make all of us poorer. Instead, we are fed a steady diet of virtue signaling and racial propaganda. Whatever narrative the Democrats come up with, the mainstream media runs with. The facts do not matter. The Jacob Blake shooting and the Trayvon Martin-George Zimmerman incident both follow the same pattern of vomiting, disinformation, lies, and fake news early and often right after the incident. Drive the narrative of America is racist. Vote for Democrats. They will end racism and the Republicans will endorse it. Then they move on to their next faux outrage. In this episode, I'm going to focus on another installment of this nightmare. The creation of iconic victim Brianna Sayer named Taylor. You remember the narrative? Racist cops kicked in her door for no reason and shot her in the back while she was in bed. That's what they told us right after the incident. Here are the facts about the incident that ended in her death. Taylor was killed in the crossfire when her boyfriend opened fire at the Louisville police who were executing a no-knock search warrant as part of a narcotics and weapons investigation into Taylor's ex-boyfriend, Jamarcus Glover. He was the leader of a local drug and weapons trafficking ring. The purpose of the warrant was to search for and seize drugs, drug paraphernalia, and any other objects, weapons, financial records related to drug trafficking. Glover was using Taylor's address to receive packages and he made multiple trips to Taylor's apartment over the course of the investigation. The police assumed she was storing drugs and money for Glover in her apartment. Oh, and Taylor had posted bail for Glover's associates in the past and was rumored to have been handling Glover's money for his operation. Thus, her residence hit the cop's radar. Thus, the warrant. As the Kentucky Attorney General recently explained, the officers who shot Taylor would not be charged because they had been fired upon first and because her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, testified that they had knocked first. Quote, Evidence shows that officers both knocked and announced their presence at the apartment. End quote. One officer was hit by a bullet from Walker's gun. He returned fire, as did one of the other officers. Taylor was ultimately hit by six bullets. The AG concluded, quote, Mattingly and Cosgrove, the two officers who fired the weapons, were justified in their use of force after being fired upon by Kenneth Walker, In order for the race baiters' version of the story to stand any level of legitimate scrutiny, they would have to prove the warrant was bad, the officers knew it was bad, and executed it anyways, and that the officers were racist, none of which is true and or provable. Just because something bad happens doesn't mean that something illegal or racist happened facts do not care about your narrative. They are what they are. The city of Louisville recently reached a settlement with the Taylor family for $12 million, eliminating the inevitable civil lawsuit against the city. That is the truth about the death of Breonna Taylor. It's not complicated. It's not racist. It's not proof of systemic racism. It's not proof of police brutality. However, what is it proof of? Are we allowed to talk about some of the extenuating or aggravating circumstances of the Brianna Taylor death? Two things come to mind, no-knock warrants and the so-called war on drugs. To understand the insanity around no-knock warrants would require an entire episode, but suffice it to say that the Supreme Court yet again has injected itself into another area of America's lives with vaguely written caveats, with one bad precedent leading to another. Then you sprinkle in the issue of qualified immunity on the part of the police, and you have a recipe for disaster. There are two links in the show notes for this episode for those of you who are interested in this part of the story. One is a YouTube video called The Truth Behind the No-Knock Warrant That Led to Breonna Taylor's Death. The other is an article by David French in which he explains the Supreme Court's rule in no-knock warrants. Both of these sources buy into the America is systemically racist narrative, and the group who produced the video named their series The 846 Project after the 8 minutes and 46 seconds that the Minneapolis police officer performed the neck restraint on George Floyd. So these are not unbiased sources. However, French's analysis of the Supreme Court is good stuff, and if you fast-forward the video to around the nine-minute mark, there is a good discussion about no-knock warrants and civil asset forfeiture. To tell you how insane the left-wing agitators are, how infatuated with running with the racial component of any police incident, a mob tried to attack Senator Rand Paul, the author of the Brianna Taylor Act that would abolish no-knock warrants. They attacked him and his wife as they attempted to walk back to their hotel from the White House. See, facts don't matter to the mob. He is a Republican. He is bad. He must pay for the sin of not being on the side of the mob, even though he kinda is. So the death of Brianna Taylor affords us the opportunity to examine the efficacy of no-knock warrants, which are the direct results of, drumroll please, the war on drugs. Maybe rather than using the death of Taylor as yet another opportunity to divide the American people, making it out to be a national tragedy, evidence of a racist nation with police brutality run amok, maybe they should consider the war on drugs angle instead is it true to say that Bianca taylor would likely be alive today if they were not pursuing in the words of mark perry this quote costly insane and immoral war on drugs end quote? this was a drug raid gone bad call it what it is do we need to have drug raids is there another way can we discuss legalization of drugs can we talk about the efficacy or validity of the war on drugs jacob Sullivan of reason magazine put it this way quote the litany of errors that led to taylor's death would be incomplete if it did not include the biggest mistake of all. Now I want you to listen carefully to the next part. The biggest mistake of all, the belief that violence is an appropriate response to peaceful conduct that violates no one's rights, i.e. drug use. He continues, if politicians did not uncritically accept the premise that underlines the war on drugs that the government has been waging for more than a century, Taylor would still be alive. Drug prohibition legalizes conduct That would instantly be recognized as felonious, including assault, theft, trespassing, burglary, kidnapping, and murder. Now keep in mind, he's speaking of the actions of law enforcement in waging the war on drugs here. He goes on, It makes police officers enemies to be feared rather than allies to be welcomed. That problem goes far beyond the cases such as Taylor's that are highlighted by Black Lives Matter. When a middle-aged white couple is killed in a drug raid instigated by a black narcotics officer who lied to obtain the search warrant, as happened in Houston last year, or a white 19-year-old is fatally shot by a white police officer during a marijuana sting, as happened in South Carolina several years ago, Those outcomes are just as senseless and heartbreaking as the death of a young black woman gunned down by white drug warriors. He goes on to say, At any given time, nearly half a million people are incarcerated in U.S. jails or prisons for drug offenses. Drug offenders account for almost half of federal prisons and 15% of state prisoners. Arresting all these people for actions that violated no one's rights unjustly deprives them of their liberty and impairs their life prospects. It also hurts their families and communities, which is not to say that the burden of prohibition falls exclusively on people who like illegal drugs. Everyone else pays, too, in the form of squandered taxpayer money, diverted law enforcement resources, theft driven by artificially high drug prices, and eroded civil liberties, the war on drugs is also the main excuse for the system of legalized theft known as civil asset forfeiture, which allows police to take cash and other property they claim is connected to drug offenses, end quote. Daniel Mitchell puts it this way, quote, the social harm of criminalization of drugs is much greater than the social harm of legalization, end quote. Just consider the logic or lack of logic of the war on drugs. The public thinks something is scary. Authorities ban this something to make the public feel safe. Now there is no legal way to obtain that something. The value of that something increases. A black market for that something forms. Organized crime gains a new source of revenue. Organized crime grows. Violence increases. Law enforcement efforts get amped up. Criminals become more violent. Violence increases. Law enforcement efforts get amped up. Criminals become more violent. You see the pattern? You see the damage, the deaths, the incarcerations due to the banning of substances that, when ingested, do not harm anyone except the ingester? So at the end of the day, the death of Brianna Taylor was an unnecessary tragedy, legally performed because we grant law enforcement a monopoly on aggression. This unnecessary tragedy was ultimately the result of a combination of factors. The war on drugs, no-knock warrants, And the actions of Rihanna's boyfriend. If her death wasn't bad enough, the left's hijacking of her tragedy for political purposes, using it to divide the country, disparage the country, use it as an excuse to riot, loot, and burn cities, largely goes unnoticed and underreported in mainstream media circles. In the left's rush to indict the country, In their rush to cry racism where no evidence of racism exists, they yet again squander another opportunity to have a truly impactful conversation about reforms that would really make a difference. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.